0: Oh, well, good morning, everyone. This mask thing, right? I mean, when you started out, you were like really diligent about when you had it on or off in the car and all of that stuff. And Steve was up and he had it off the first time, then he wore it the second time. Nobody cares anymore, right? It's like I'm driving around with a mask on in my car because I just don't want to take it on and off again. Like, nobody cares. Just wear the mask. Don't wear the mask. At home, whatever. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Wear it in the wintertime. It was great in the wintertime because it was warm. I just I think it's my new I think it's my new thing in the winter to just have a mask on all the time. Except it fogs up my glasses. So I guess it's win some, lose some. But I don't know about you. All of this just reminds me of sort of just another shutdown, another another time where things are difficult. And when those times happen to me, I don't know about you, but I just want to find and return to a comfortable place. I want to eat comfort food. I want to wear comfortable clothing. I want to listen to comforting music. And so with this latest shutdown, I just felt that urge for the comfortable retreat, even in my preaching. So I am uh, taking my turn at this 316 series and unashamedly choosing for myself, Ruth 316. Ruth 316 is this. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. Now the reason I pick Ruth 316, and, and we'll get to why that's an important verse, is that I just love the book of Ruth. This is my comfort book. Uh, I love the story, I love the prose of how it's told, I love the allegory and the imagery, I love the beauty, the setting, I love that it's short and it's easy to read, Uh, I love all the people that are in it, Uh, I love that in just four short chapters it is essentially a picture of the whole Bible and all of what God is doing for us in those four chapters. I especially love how we can identify with Ruth and celebrate with her all that the man has done for us. That's what we're going to look at this morning. All that the man has done for us. And we're going to get into chapter 3, verse 16 and review it shortly. But in order to understand this verse and what it means and why it's significant, we need a little bit of an overview of this book and to know where we fit in because we are Ruth. And the story of Ruth begins with a disobedient Israelite family. They left the promised land of God, and they left the promised land and went into the land of Moab, a nation that were enemies of Israel, and that God had said Israel should have nothing to do with Moabites. But this family leaves Israel, takes their sons with them, and marries the sons off to Moabite women. They move there during a time of famine. Things are tough in Israel and so they flee from the presence of God and his people and marry into the Moabite nation. Now what happens at the beginning of Ruth is that both of the sons and the father of this family die, leaving the wife Naomi abandoned and humbly and even bitterly returning to Israel And one of her daughter-in-laws comes with her. And as she returns to Bethlehem, of all things, she brings with her this Moabite daughter-in-law, who is alien, who is foreign, who is a stranger to the people of God and the nation of Israel. She's a widow. She has no legal standing in the land of Judah or among these people. And remember, we are Ruth. We begin our story as foreigners to God and to his kingdom. We are the aliens. We have no legal standing in God's kingdom. We have no property. We have no right to citizenship. We exist at the mercy of a generous king who has made temporary provision for strangers among his own people, just like Ruth. But this Moabite, Ruth, she wants to know the God of Naomi. She wants to believe in the God that Naomi has put so much faith in. In chapter 116, we read, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people and your god my god and so ruth returns with naomi to enter into the land of god's people where she lives by the mercy of god's laws gleaning in the fields gleaning is a is an old agricultural term it means picking up the wheat that is left over at the edges of the harvest or picking up what is dropped or left behind by those that are harvesting She lives on those gleanings, and that gleaning was a law of God. And she lives by the mercy of a man of God whose name is Boaz. We actually have a little tiny Boaz in our church family right now. It's a really cool name. It's a really important name, as you're going to find out. But Boaz clearly did not run away from God during the hard times away. Okay? Boaz stayed in Bethlehem. Boaz continued to work and provide for his family and his workers during the famine and Boaz follows the law of God which allows for the gleaning of his field for the provision of the poor and the stranger like Ruth. Leviticus 19, nine to 10 is where you would go to find this law described. God tells his people that when you reap your harvest, you don't reap it to the very edge of your field. You leave the edges for the poor, for the marginalized, for foreigners. And for sojourners, he calls them, because I am your God. And so Boaz is a faithful man of God who follows the law, and he has women in his field, foreigners who are gleaning, and Ruth lives by the mercy of that law and that faithful man. Chapter 2.16, we read the instruction of Boaz. He says, also pull out from some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Boaz even notices Ruth in the fields, and he says, I know you've already harvested this stuff, but actually pull some of it out of the bundles that you've harvested and leave it behind so that she can pick it up. This is the guy, Boaz, uh, that we encounter here. And, a little bit more background, and then we'll get to 316, Boaz just happens to be a close relative of Ruth. A relative that again, by the law of God and his mercy, who has the legal right, in fact, has the obligation to marry her as a widow in his own family and by marrying her, redeem her situation, to bring her into full status as part of the family again and give her her portion of his inheritance and her children the right to family inheritance. So we are Ruth. And the man that Ruth speaks to her mother about is Boaz. And we have the background now to understand our need and God's action as pictured so perfectly in the book of Ruth. We have the foundation laid to unpack what has the man done for us. Because Boaz, as we will soon see in this story, is Jesus. We are Ruth. Boaz is Jesus. Ruth 3.16 And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. So what had the man done? What happened between 2.16 and 3.16 that Ruth is explaining to her mother-in-law? What are all the things that Boaz has done for Ruth that she is so excited to tell Naomi about? Well, it all starts with a plan that Naomi came up with. Naomi comes up with this idea at the start of chapter three. She realizes that this relative Boaz has taken notice of Ruth gleaning in the field, that he has even set aside some wheat for her to glean. And so Naomi says to Ruth, uh, go take a shower, put on some perfume, dress really nice, and then go and lay at the foot of Boaz's bed and wake him up tonight. But not until after a good day's work and after he has had a big meal and drank some wine. That's literally her plan. You can go to three, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 and read this plan. I'm not making this up, okay? Now, remember that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is often descriptive but not always prescriptive. What I mean by that is the Bible describes things that are taking place. It isn't always telling you this is what you should do. Okay, so young women out there, this is not a description for how you go and find a man to marry. I am not suggesting the Bible instructs you to go lay at night at the foot of a man's bed and uncover his feet after he's had a big meal and some wine. So the Bible describes Naomi's plan. It's not necessarily prescribing this plan, just to be clear. But it does raise some interesting questions, doesn't it? Why do it this way? Why not just ask Boaz over for dinner or drop some hints about his being a kinsman at lunch in the fields? Why not do this in the daylight when everyone is awake and coherent? It is a very strange plan, but it is a plan that is carried out for good reason as we will soon see. We see in the following verses of chapter three, Ruth's action and Boaz's response. In Ruth three, seven to nine, she undergoes this plan It says, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? Reasonable. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. So first of all, we see in verse 7 the setting of this unusual plan. He went and laid down at the end of the heap of grain. Boaz has worked all day long, he's eaten a good supper, he's drank some wine, and all things in general is good for him, and he sleeps the sleep of an honest man. He lays down in a quiet corner of the threshing floor and drifts off to sleep, ready for work again tomorrow. Ruth then can approach quietly, uncover his feet and lay down at the foot of his bedroll. And he wakes up and he finds this woman there and perfectly natural question he asks, who are you? And she answers him. She says, I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer, a goel. This is the the term that's used in the law and in scripture to describe one who is a relative who is able to redeem someone who is widowed. So verse 9 is key to the whole plan. Ruth's answer to Boaz's question is humble and bold at the same time. This is what we have to unpack here to understand 3.16. When, when Ruth replies to Boaz, explaining who she is, waking him up in the middle of the night, she uses very special words. Words that will cause Boaz to take notice and that cause Boaz to react in a very special way towards her. First of all, she says that she is a servant. And the word she uses here is carefully chosen. She uses "ama." Ama is the Hebrew word for servant that is more elevated. It's an elevated term for a female servant, almost part of the household. It's more elevated than the common servant word of shifka, the word that she's already used earlier in her first conversation with Boaz in 2.13, where she said she's not even one of his shifka. Ruth says, I'm not even one of your secondary or tertiary servants. I'm not even one of your minor servants. Why would you pay attention to me? But now when she speaks to Boaz she emphasizes the fact that Boaz has accepted her in his fields and she is now becoming a part of his household and see, she says I am your ama servant. And when Boaz hears that Boaz is going to react a certain way out of his nature. And at one level his response might simply be okay this is a servant of mine it's an ama that I am responsible for she's known to me and I'm going to show her kindness. And she can share this spot on the threshing room floor with me and, you know, because she belongs here. And Boaz's nature and his lawfulness would dictate that response. But then Ruth goes on to say even more. She says, I'm your ama, but she says, spread your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. And now we see the reason for the plan. Because Ruth says literally, Spread your wing over me. And then she emphasizes not who she is, an Alma, but emphasizes who Boaz is, a kinsman, redeemer. It's not about me. It's about you in your action and who you are, your wing. The first thing about this phrase that Ruth uses that's filled up with deeper meaning than just, you know, give me a piece of your blanket so that I'm not cold what goes deeper than that is that she says the word kampa or kanaf and she uses here the phrase spread the edge of your garment over me. Kanaf is the extremity of a garment or a wing or a flap. It's the phrase that God uses towards Israel in Ezekiel 16 describing his desire to take the nation of Israel to himself in a covenant like a marriage putting his wing over them. That his people will be like his bride and he will be like a husband to his people. It's very similar as well to the words that Jesus uses in Matthew 23, 37. When he expresses his desire to take the people of Jerusalem under his wing like a mother hen. But it's also important because Ruth is repeating back to Boaz the same words that he used with her again at their very first meeting. Wing, or kanaf is the same word. It's almost the exact same phrase that Boaz used of Ruth in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You see, Boaz recognized that Ruth, a Moabite woman, had come to Israel desiring to know the God of Naomi, had come under the wings of the Lord for refuge. And now Ruth goes to Boaz and says, you're a kinsman redeemer. Put me under your wing. That's what I'm looking for. I'm your servant. You've called me your servant. I need to be under your redeeming wing." She even asked the question in chapter 2:12, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, a foreigner? And then she returns in chapter three using this tender covenant language to say, I know you've recognized me as a foreigner, but I need your redemption. I need to be under your wing. And at this point, if it was a movie, all the women in the theater would be crying along with me And all the guys would be, you know, swallowing and trying to act tough, you know, because they can see what's going on here, and the orchestra's getting really excited about what's going on. But everybody's wondering, how is Boaz going to respond to this weird plan, this woman showing up in his bed at night, asking him to cover her up with his redeeming wing. And that's our linchpin verse of 316. It hangs on this moment. What is the man going to do for her? And we get Boaz's response. This is what he's going to do. He says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after any other young man, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. I will do for you all that you ask. Greater than what you did before, Ruth. What's he talking about there? Ruth's former act of devotion was her decision to remain and help Naomi. Her former act of devotion was to stick with her mother-in-law. They were both poor. They both had no property. They both had no standing in Israel, but she stayed with Naomi. This devotion is her reason to marry Boaz. Oh, sorry. The later act of devotion now is her choice of Boaz rather than any other young man available to her to specifically be redeemed by the kinsman redeemer in order to provide a child to carry on Naomi's line. So Boaz's response is as meaningful as Ruth's reply. Bless you, he says. Ruth will be blessed for her action. He calls her daughter, affirming her place in his family. He says, don't be afraid. Fear not. You have made yourself vulnerable, but there is nothing to fear from me. And then most importantly, I will do for you all that you ask. Boaz will respond faithfully to provide all that Ruth needs, even himself. He will give of himself. What will I do for you, Ruth? I will do everything you need to be redeemed. All that you ask of me tonight, I will do. So what's happened here? Ruth has made herself completely vulnerable in this plan. By going to Boaz in this specific way, there is no turning back from her decision to trust in him. She has thrown herself completely on the mercy of him as a redeemer and he must respond in this way or else she is utterly lost. If Boaz is offended by her presence, If he calls her out at night and says, this woman has come to my bed and I don't know her, I don't want anything to do with her, she would be taken outside the city, she could possibly be stoned, she would be viewed as a temptress, whatever it is. Her coming to Boaz in this way puts her utterly vulnerable and at risk and dependent and trusting in his character. He must be the kind of man that she expects him to be because if he is anything else, she is doomed. Any other plan where she hedges her bets of dropping hints at lunchtime in the field or you know, holding him at arm's length and finding out whether he might be able to redeem her, all of those things is not fully trusting in his character. She's not throwing herself utterly on the mercy and the trust of Boaz's character that way. But by doing it this way, by coming to him at night, laying at his feet, And putting her hope in him as a redeemer, she must have him respond the way he does, or she is lost. And remember, we are Ruth. We must trust in the man. We must make ourselves vulnerable and completely throw our lives upon the hope of Jesus. Because if Jesus rejects us, we have nothing, we're utterly lost. But how does the man respond? What does he do? He answers her and says, I will do all that you ask. This is the lesson we learn about God and ourselves bound up in this brief but amazing interaction. God has shown kindness towards us, He has made His character known to us, He has seen us gleaning at the edges of our knowledge of Him. He's seen our tentative hope that He could be our Savior. And he's even invited us to be a part of his household to serve him as his servants. And like Ruth, we must recognize his kindness and his love shorn towards us. And then we must respond to that love in a way that is completely vulnerable. It would not do for Ruth to just, as I said, have a casual conversation with Boaz while they're eating sandwiches. Ruth has to throw herself on the mercy of Boaz. She has to have a complete and final hope in his response, and that's what God is waiting for from us as well. Do you trust me utterly that I will save you, that I will respond as I have promised in my own law? Don't hedge your bets with God trying to keep him safe distance or keep a safe escape route back to the world if you don't like his answer. We have to come to this place of acknowledging that without him, we are utterly lost, the way Ruth approached Boaz. And when we do that, we realize at this point in the story that Boaz is Jesus. If we humble ourselves, if we trust in him, he will do all that we ask to redeem us, to rescue us, to make us his family, that we never are alien to his kingdom again. The book of Ruth is not just an Old Testament story to fill up an obscure portion of Jesus' genealogy or his family tree. The story of Ruth is the story of the whole Bible. It is the story of God and the man, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us. It's the story of us as aliens who are seeking refuge in God's creation and in God's kingdom and how we are utterly dependent upon his mercy. It is the story of the whole Bible that God is faithful to his promise and he is a redeemer and he will not say no if we come to him. This story is the gospel, that God provided foreigners and aliens and enemies like us a redeemer, and that redeemer is Jesus. If you put your complete trust in Jesus without any other options, God is faithful to redeem you and to reward you and to save you. God will not deny his own nature. He's mighty and faithful to save those that call on him. So then you wonder, did this crazy plan work, right? Ruth can't wait. To go home and tell her mother-in-law that it worked. Ruth 3 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law she said, how did you fare my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. So how did it go Naomi asked. Did, did we assess the faithfulness of Boaz correctly? Were we correct about his character? Was it wise of us to put ourselves at his mercy and risk so much for his refuge and his redemption. It was a great risk to put our faith there. Was it worth it? What happened? And it totally was. Naomi, or sorry, Ruth explains all that he had done for her. Their faith was not misplaced. And the risky covenant approach that was, that was the right approach to take. God is a covenant God who will always honor his promise. And in verse 18, the mother-in-law goes on, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi says, Boaz is not going to rest. Boaz is not going to let anything get in the way of what he has to do to redeem you. And we find out, if you keep going, I'm not going to get into it, but you read the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, and Boaz does settle it. He goes to the city gates. He speaks to the elders. He takes responsibility for Ruth. He takes on all of the legal measures that he must do to finalize the deal and seal it. He pays the price to be her redeemer. And as you read that, again, you just see echoes and echoes and echoes of Christ as he is willing To invite us into the inheritance of his family, how we will become his family, how he makes sure all the legal things are done to make sure that it is signed and sealed, to make sure that we are his people. And so Ruth will have a husband and she will have a family and she will have a future. This is what Jesus has done for us. It's the same joy that awaits everyone as a child of God. Reinstatement, full entitlement, a new relationship established on the unshakable nature of God's character. Even if you're a Moabite, even if you are a cursed enemy of God and his people, even if you are a foreigner and an alien, you put your hope in the refuge of God and he is faithful. Jesus will do. Jesus has already done. The man has done all that we need to be made his. This is the comfort food of any believer. I mean, I love Ruth. I can rehearse this night and day and never get tired of it. But it's also the comfort food of the whole world. If the world will accept it. It is your comfort, your joy, your peace, your rest that God is faithful and willing redeemer. And that Jesus has done and Jesus will do all that is needed to make sure that you become a part of his family if you ask him. So humble yourself. Be utterly vulnerable and honest with Jesus the way Ruth was humble and vulnerable with Boaz. And you will get the same response from Jesus. He will take you under his wing. He will be your kinsman redeemer. He will restore you and make you whole. And under his wings, you will find safety. Let's pray. Father God, thank you this morning again for your word. Thank you for the comfort of the gospel, that it's present in every book. I, I, don't, I don't know a book in your, in your word that doesn't have the gospel in it. But boy, you tell it to us beautifully in Ruth. So Lord, I just pray for us right now in this, this time that we're in when we need comfort, when we need the comfort food and the put on the comfort clothing and the comfort music and we need the comfort of the gospel. We need the comfort of knowing that you're a redeemer who's faithful, that we find shelter under your wings. Father, just comfort us in this time and Father, I pray for any who have never known that comfort, who have held you at arm's length, who have maybe gleaned at the edges of the knowledge of you, that they would even this day commit to be transparent, to be vulnerable, to be humble, to come to your feet, the foot of the cross, and ask to be redeemed. And Jesus will never say no. They will be redeemed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.